Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Hi, today I'm with uh, David Slutsky. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of Fermata Energy, which is a pioneering vehicle-to-grid energy system company, uh, which use, uses parked electrical vehicles to make the electrical grid run more efficiently. He'll tell us how that works in a bit. Now, David is a, a very interesting guy, believe me. He's a self-proclaimed policy wonk, a serial entrepreneur, and is committed, thank God, he's one of those that is committed to preserving sensitive ecological systems. Another thing you might want to know about uh, David is that he coordinated President Bill Clinton's International Task uh, Task Force on Sustainable Development, and, and that was before the word sustainable was quite as uh, well known as it was uh, as it is today. Well, thank you very much for coming along uh, with us today, David. Well, Mark, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm, I'm pleased to uh, to share what I have to say with um, with your audience. Uh, and it's a fantastic thing that you're doing, I think. Um, but uh, let's get right to it. Uh, the question that I want to start first is, it's my understanding from a, a friend that I talked to uh, that knows you that you're something of a philosopher. Now, how the heck do you get from philosophy to becoming what I guess is an electrical engineer type guy? <laughs> Well, ironically, I'm on the faculty of the engineering school at the University of Virginia, and I believe I'm the only trained philosopher that can say that. Um, my background is in philosophy, uh, University of Chicago undergrad and grad, but what I studied uh, had everything to do with un trying to understand how we in the West allowed ourselves to get into the biospheric crisis that we suffer from right now. And I've taken that, that foundation and sought a number of ways to, uh, to address uh, ecological concerns, and in doing so, um, have created a series of uh, businesses and have had, you know, put my finger in the pie with a few uh, policy uh, initiatives. And, um, you know, that all fits together somehow, as it usually does when you're a philosopher. You can make anything fit together. <laughs> now, explain what the name of your company means a little bit to us, for us. Well, my son's a, a, a classically trained um, jazz musician. And so he's always thinking in terms of music. And a fermata is actually the name of a note in music notation that means a pause of uncertain duration. And the idea here was we're trying to t stop and take a look at some things and rethink them. And so that seemed apropos. Plus, the name was kind of cool, looked a little bit like, you know, Ferrari. So we went with it. <laughs> yeah, well, electric Ferraris, I'm sure, are soon on the horizon. Um, listen, uh, you know, I went through your website, and we, we talked a little bit about it in uh, in an earlier conversation, and gosh, I always used to think I was a smart guy, uh, and then I, you know, tried to figure out what exactly you were doing. So in lay terms, can you kind of tell us what you're trying to achieve by uh, using parked electrical vehicles to make the grid run more efficiently? I mean, how does that work? Well, if I may, let me first set up how, why we set up the company, and then from there, I'll, I'll kind of summarize what it does, because that might make it a little bit more clear. Um, 
everything I do has an underlying intention behind it. And I think good things happen when you have a successful melding of intent with process. Um, so you have to have a good intention or all the effective uh, bureaucracy you set up doesn't amount to much. And similarly, you can have a good intention, but if you don't have a good plan for bringing it into reality, uh, it's just an idea. So the two objectives or intentions uh, that I had in mind when I founded Fermata were number one, to try and accelerate the adoption of EVs. Uh, I've been driving EVs since before there was a Tesla, so I'm a fan, but it was for geopolitical and ecological reasons that I thought transitioning into electric vehicles was really important. So that was intention number one. So and intention number two. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to yeah. have to stop you. I'm going to EV for everybody who hasn't caught it is electrical vehicle. Sorry, I'll be a little more clear. So <laughs> we we set out we set out to make electric vehicles everywhere. We wanted to make them popular. We wanted to make them um, the choice. The second goal or intention of the company was to accelerate the transition on the power grid from you know traditionally coal and nuke to wind and solar. We wanted to accelerate the adoption of renewable energy. So those are two interesting intentions because. They each solve the other's problem. And so at the core of what Fermata is doing, which is to, um, to, to develop and implement vehicle-to-grid or V-to-G technology, what we're trying to do is to make electric vehicles more commonplace, you need to get the price down. I think range anxiety is less of a concern than it used to be with the adoption of EVs because, frankly, the cars are getting a lot more mileage than they used to, a lot more range. And there is a built-out infrastructure of chargers that exists. The real problem with adoption of EVs is they're more expensive. So we started thinking if EVs, electric vehicles, could earn money while they're parked, which it turns out they are most of the time, then that would be interesting. What if the total cost of ownership value proposition of an electric vehicle was less than uh, an equivalent uh, internal combustion engine vehicle? That would be really interesting. So that gave rise to the question, well, how can the darn thing earn money while it's parked? Hold that thought. On the renewable energy side, to accelerate the transition to renewables, we noticed that the technology for converting uh, wind and solar into electrons is actually already cost competitive with, uh, it's way cost competitive with nukes, and it's even comparable to, or in some cases, uh, cheaper than generating electrons with coal plants then you might ask, why don't we have scale adoption of renewables on the grid? And the answer is, you know, with, with, uh, with a nuke and a coal plant, you can kind of dial the plant up and down based on what customers need at any given moment. But you can't do that with wind and solar because you have to grab those electrons when the wind's blowing and the sun's shining. So the grid, in short, needs massive energy storage designed into it in order to scale up on renewable energy. And what is most interesting about vehicle to grid is uh, I read a, a scholarly article a number of years ago that back then when battery packs were smaller, this article suggested that if you took a quarter of the vehicles on the roads of America at that time, made them electric, the energy storage capacity of all of those vehicles would be roughly equal to the entire output of the U.S. power grid. So I started to realize that it's that elegant crossover between these two intentions that resides in uh, vehicle-to-grid technology 
that would solve both problems. So we founded Fermata Energy, or I did, with the intent of developing uh, the technologies that would enable electric vehicles, batteries, to provide that massive energy storage that the grid requires in order to transition to renewable energy. There are many other benefits, but that was kind of at the, at the core of why we started the company, and that's what we do. So it, it, I don't know if the analogy is the same, but I remember a, a commercial on the television uh, with a Nissan Leaf pulling up to a, a, a home that was dark, and it plugged in, and all of a sudden the home lit up. Is that the same idea as being able to use it as a great big mobile battery for things other than just the car? That's exactly right. And uh, within the United States, at least, uh, Nissan's really the company that gets it. They have understood for years the potential value of that stored energy on board their vehicles uh, to provide significant uh, value to other industries. So when they started depicting vehicle to home, which is what that uh, commercial probably described, um, it's because they understood that energy storage had a purpose. Nissan Leafs have been bidirectional meaning that the vehicles are capable of having a, an external charger both charge and discharge the vehicle, which is how you get that house lit up, by discharging your vehicle's uh, battery into the building load. Uh, Nissan's had those in place since 2013. Um, I expect all uh, major car companies, OEMs, will catch up with Nissan at some point, but for the moment, they're actually uh, the only guys who really get it in the U.S., are they, are they the only ones with the uh, bi-directional uh, charge discharge in their cars? Yeah, they're, yeah, their vehicles for right now are the only, you know, scalable vehicle in the U.S. that's, uh, that's set for bi-directional activity. But as I said, eventually all the OEMs will, will catch up with Nissan. So what, what we do with this technology, let me just sort of summarize. You asked to describe what the website maybe didn't quite do a good job of doing. For the layperson, for the layperson, right? <laughs> so, well, I'm a philosopher, so I have to dumb it down for me to understand it too. Um, what we've got is, for, to do vehicle to grid, you need three main things. You need, as I've mentioned, a bi-directionally enabled vehicle. And for now, that means the LEAF in the U.S., you also need to have, I should say, a bi-directionally enabled electric vehicle, just to be clear. Yeah. The second thing you need is a charger that is capable of bi-directional activity. A bi-directional charger sounds like a no-brainer, but there really aren't any to speak of available in the market today. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So you need a bi-directionally enabled vehicle. You need a bi-directional charger. And then the third thing you need is software to enable the interoperability or the connections between the car and its stored energy and whatever building that it's connected to, and ultimately to the utility and to the power grid, because those are the guys who are gonna pay you money for your electrons at certain times. So to get a car and a charger and software was what we set out to do when we set up the company, and uh, we're basically at that point now. So a car, a charger and a software. And so is your system uh, uh, dependent then on LEAF or can any, any other car um, uh, sign up, any other electrical vehicle be used? I didn't quite understand that. Well, so if, if you wanted to use a car other than a LEAF um, right now, that car will not allow you to, uh, to discharge 
the car back through the charger into the building. And there also really aren't chargers that will allow you to discharge any car backwards into a building that are available in the U.S. Right. So the first thing, the first thing we had to do as a company was try and find a car. We actually spent a couple of years trying to work with some people to develop a uh, an all-electric vehicle that was bi-directional. But while we were um, spending time and money doing that, uh, we discovered that Nissan had figured this out. So we pivoted as a, as a tech startup. You have to do that from time to time. Right, right. We pivoted to, all right, we could check off the car box. We've got a bi-directional vehicle available now, and that's Steve. What else do we need? Well, we need a bi-directional charger, and we need software. So we looked around and tried to find bi-directional chargers of the power capacity that we thought was relevant, and there weren't any. So we, we worked with some, some products that were not really full commercial products, but they were at least technologically usable enough for us to kind of do a demonstration project and, and get our, our uh, sea legs with, with vehicle to grid. But we knew we needed to have a charger that we could um, work with in the marketplace. So for how to acquire a company, uh, we, we, we looked all over the planet for people who had a charger in, in, in production, uh, in development. Uh, that was being talked about, even thought about. I mean, we really cast a wide net. And ultimately, we did find this small company in Blacksburg, Virginia, that was a spinoff from Virginia Tech. And um, they had a very state-of-the-art design for a bidirectional, a 25-kilowatt bidirectional DC fast charger, uses silicon carbide and all sorts of other you know, fancy bells and whistles. And we got into an agreement with them and then eventually acquired them. So they are our charger company for now. And that company is about to bring into the marketplace in the next couple of months, the first UL approved bi-directional DC charger in the world. And uh, it's not been an easy task getting there, but we're, you know, within a few months of that being a commercially available product. And that's a pretty exciting thing. Is, so we now have the car. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to ask you, can that bi-directional charger be used for other things or is it specifically for this use with electrical vehicles? Um, it's a great question. There's some technology on board that charger that has other applications uh, in the energy world that we certainly intend to leverage. But for now, as a business, we're laser focused on bringing vehicle to grid to the marketplace at scale. And so we're immediately using our charger to charge and tr discharge leafs such that uh, we can make money for our customers while those vehicles are parked. And that's what we're going to be doing, you know, with the rest of this year is building up uh, a portfolio of deployed vehicles, deployed Nissan Leafs and, and our chargers, and then uh, working them with our software. So I, I mentioned earlier that you need a car, you need a charger, and you need software. In a similar way to the charger, we, we needed software and we didn't really think there were any software companies that, that saw vehicle to grid the way we did. So we acquired a team that had uh, developed uh, the backbone for a lot of microgrid software. They knew how to have different power electronics equipment talk to other things. And we brought them on board and we now have in-house uh, a software company that's part of the, the business. And they have developed our first go-to-market uh, applications. So, you know, this uh, late, late spring, early summer, we will be deploying uh, our charger using our software and our customers' Nissan Leafs. And we will be using those three things 
to make money for those customers while their cars are parked. That, and that right. is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, as, it's as though the cars are kind of writing checks, I think you said. Yeah, uh, but before you answer that, uh, I want to take a little break here uh, and listen to a little electric light orchestra. taste of Mr. Blue Sky, something I think we all uh, hope for and appreciate. Anyways, before the break, I asked you if your goal uh, is to have parked cars write checks for their owners. Uh, I think that's a really great kind of innovation, particularly if it helps to make electric vehicles more affordable, more accessible, and ubiquitous, as is your intention. I mean, we like to think of it that way. Um, we, they're, they're, we like to think of it as a pie. So we create a pie and then we divvy up the pie. The customer gets a good chunk of the pie. We take some of the pie. There, there are other people who are beneficiaries of this activity. Sometimes the money comes in the form of uh, savings on the customer's electric bill. Sometimes it involves uh, us or the customer getting paid by the utility. In some cases, it's actually the power grid, the kind of layer above the utilities. Uh, that would provide the, the, the money in the pie. But our technology is basically all of those combined, and there are several what we call monetization pathways available for this technology that exist today and do not require regulatory intervention. They don't require special permission. They're things we can, you know, with a customer, just go do, and, and that's pretty exciting. Eventually, there will be more uh, monetization pathways or ways to make money that become available. But right out of the box, we can make literally thousands of dollars per year with somebody's lease uh, if they're, you know, working with our system. Well, that's interesting. So you basically park the car, you hook it up to your charger, um, and then when the uh, sun is shining and you've got a surplus of energy that the system is using, it can be stored in that car. Is that essentially what it is? And then it gets sold back to the grid when it's when it's when the sun's not shining. Well, sort of. So <laughs> the, the, the the issue with respect now this is it's is very uh, subtle and nuanced and easy to, to to slightly misunderstand. A lot of people think that what we do is energy arbitrage. You know, buy electrons cheap and turn around and sell them back at a higher price. Right. Um, really, not a lucrative way to use this technology. There are other things that are significantly more more valuable uh, that this technology can provide, and Fermat is more focused on those than anything else. Um, 
The issue with respect to wind and solar is that the utilities need to increase their use of wind and solar, but in order to do that, they have to have a place to dump the electrons when the wind's blowing and the sun's shining. So one of the services we can provide is to sell this energy storage on board the vehicle called the battery and sell access to that to the utility so they can store those extra electrons and then draw them, not necessarily because the rates have changed, but because they now need those electrons to satisfy their customers. So it's a little bit different than than arbitrage. Yeah, just it's selling storage space. That's right. Elect- but that's elect- not the only. That's not that's the not only. That's not the thing. only use. But that it's not the only thing. But that's a major utilization of this technology. Right. Right. Um, it, it's a fascinating story of how you put the the company together and the and the, the multiple uses that it can ultimately uh, take advantage of to monetize. Uh, well, clean energy. I, I wanted to know. You recently got uh, an investment that was uh, that you did a, a little bit of a promotional on, and and I was just wondering how hard has it been to really attract uh, investors and and I guess clients as well, because like, you hear about impact investing this, impact investing that, and and if you know you look at my Twitter Twitter feed, you say, oh, there's a billions and billions of dollars for these kinds of investments. Uh, how easy was it to to attract investment and clients? That's a great question. Um, and for the entrepreneurs in your uh, listenership, um, I'm sure that they are, um, they're very interested in the answer. How, he, how easy is it? I don't know. We were successful and that's a good thing. It takes a lot of effort. Part of the challenge is selling to an investor an idea that doesn't actually exist today. It's an idea. And so you have to turn it into reality as quickly as possible in order to, uh, to be a legitimate business. And so Formata has been laser focused on commercializing the ideas that underlie vehicle to grid. And I think that's helped us a lot. Um, one of the other features of this technology is, you know, if you're a rich guy and you want to invest a bunch of money in something that's tech oriented or that wants to, that might help save the planet, you're looking for opportunities. Most of them are, there's a lot of them out there, but very few of them, have the the scalability that vehicle to grid does because we're talking about disrupting the auto industry and the electric power industry globally we're likely to do it in a way that dramatically um, reduces greenhouse gas emissions um, carbon it, it, it is a big part part of our puzzle so the, the upside of of commercializing this technology is unusually large even though the uncertainties and risks are also fairly significant. But I think most of uh, the investor community has an appetite for things that can scale and that are achievable. And we've been fortunate enough to to have some very sophisticated investors who are able to understand what we were developing and uh, and, and be willing to, to back it. So that hasn't been a big problem so far. Well, that, that's fantastic to hear. Um, and it's been, an, it sounds like a, an interesting journey you've been on and it sounds like you got a, a little ways to go. Um, Look, I, I wanted to return uh, back uh, to your uh, philosophical roots as as way of perhaps uh, a last question. Um, last week, I was talking, uh, I was talking with the uh, Gail Broadbrook, who is the co-founder of the Extinction Rebellion out of the UK, uh, who is doing non-violent disruption of, of traffic, basically, and other activities in, in the UK to draw attention to 
you know, the problems that we face with climate change and, and recent, two recent studies, one saying that two, per, uh, two degrees looks unlikely. We'll probably have global warming by two degrees at least, maybe 4%, which is uh, unthink, which will have unthinkable impacts on our atmosphere. Um, and the other one is a, a recent study about uh, extinction of insects at a massive scale. And, and these are two major threats that we, we are facing. I, I talked with her and she said, I, I don't have hope anymore. And how do you go on if that's the case? And do you have hope still that we can become carbon free enough to reverse the damage that, that's already been done? I'm sympathetic to, to, Gail's, uh, to Gail's point of view, but I'm a little bit more of an optimist and, it, and it, that optimism is grounded in my philosophical roots. What I worked on in graduate school was trying to understand, as I mentioned, how we allowed ourselves to get into this biosphere crisis <clears throat> in, in order to understand how we might get out of it. And the, the main conclusion, the sort of big muscle movement of all this was that we in the West have cultivated and ultimately developed a concept of self such that we think of the self as autonomous. We think we're very separate and distinct from everybody else. So the adverse impact of human action then becomes discounted because it, its impacts are, are, are borne by others and not us. And I think that dynamic has set up our tolerance for uh, the intergenerational harm, uh, the disruption of natural systems that's inherent in our economic systems. My philosophy, my philosophy training also suggests to me that humans are a very adaptive species. And my hope, and it's not just hope, um, I actually am fairly confident that as we enter into the critical moments, as we have an accelerated crisis of, of, of climate um, uh, disruption, and we start losing species, we're going to have to make a lot of adaptation, ad adaption, adoption. Let me get that right. Yeah. We're going to have to make a lot of adjustments to be able to continue to survive as a species. But I think we will come to the idea that we're all one with each other, that we all have a, a direct connection to future generations, and that we are part of a larger self that is nature. Yeah. And I think once we transition to that point of view, the behaviors that disrupt our broader well-being will not be tolerated. And I think the kinds of dramatic change in human behavior that will be necessitated by urgent climate change, I think are possible. And I'm hoping that it happens uh, before it is too late. Yeah, I do too. I'd love for your son to become a famous uh, jazz musician so that we can enjoy him well into our advanced age. Uh, David, uh, you have given me hope. Uh, not only with your business but your your uh, admirable words and i wish you the best of luck uh with your company i hope we can talk again in a little while and and, and get an update and see how you're doing mark i appreciate very much the opportunity to to address the uh, sustainable century uh, audience i think what you're doing is a valuable uh, contribution to the cause and if there's another way that i can help you in the future please don't be reluctant to reach out well, that's awfully kind of you to say, David, and I just want to thank you again for sharing your story and your insights with us today. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Today, we've been talking with David Slutsky, CEO and founder of Fermata Energy. You can learn more about Fermata by checking out their website at fermataenergy.com. 
I also want to give a shout out to Jennifer Boynton of B Targeted Marketing. And she's also a member of the MAG Impact Collective. I want to thank her for introducing me to David. You can find Jen on Twitter at Jen Boynton, B-O-Y-N-T-O-N. Or remember, if, if you think you know someone who would make a, an inspiring and insightful guest on the Sustainable Century, just let me know. You can contact me on Twitter at CSR Counts, uh, or you can write to me at info at esglobal.com. Okay, now normally that's it. That would be the end. That would be a wrap, but not today. This time I'm including a bonus after the recording chat track, you know, when we say goodbye to the guests and chat a little bit, I just cannot not share just a few more of David's insights. So I hope you enjoy. Take care. Um, your final words. I were... hope it wasn't too philosophical. I hope oh, it didn't get a little bit. Well, over. hell, I was, I was, I was broken last week. I tell you. <laughs> I, I interviewed Gail Bradbrook, uh, co-founder of the Extinction Rebellion, and she paints a fairly accurate description of, of climate uh, change and biodiversity challenges confronting uh, confronting humankind. And as you know, it's it's pretty scary, and she's quite frank about it. You should listen to you should listen to uh, Gail's uh, podcast. She is incredible. When will it be up? It's it's up. Uh, I put it up last week. She's incredibly nerdy, uh, incredibly well read. Uh, I think you would uh, appreciate her, the depth of, at which she spoke. Uh, she's a biologist. She has a doctorate in biology, molecular biology, um, and she's just. It's funny though. I wish I'd have said this uh, during the, the the recorded part. Maybe we can catch it now. But um, you know. It, Perhaps her lack of hope is more a reflection on, uh, you know, sort of the British outlook to the world because of what they've been going through for the last two years. And and in fact, they tend to be a little bit more. Well, I dare dare I generalize, but tend to be a little bit more um, pessimistic in their outlook. I think than Americans who are are much more naturally optimistic and entrepreneurial and future forward looking and saying, "Hey, we can conquer everything." So hopefully, hopefully we can uh, we can use the UK attitude to fuel the uh, American uh, the the American gung hoism and and come to some kind of resolution to this because boy I tell you I was devastated last week I, I think the word I would have used to describe the Brits in this matter would be measured they're very measured they're 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 not willing to, to take the deep plunge that a, a crazy American might be willing right. to take right but 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 that's also what has enabled and empowered Americans like um, you know Bill Gates or Steve Jobs to, to see beyond what conventional wisdom says are the limitations of our of capabilities and and to push the boundaries and, and i think americans have traditionally been very good at that M my worry is that we get so buried in the, the the depression of the moment from politics and the environment that people start giving up and that they that they then don't venture out and take the risks needed to make dramatic and, and important change i'm kind of by nature a pretty positive outlook guy i can't help it um, and so it's a little easier for me to operate as an entrepreneur uh, in a new territory trying to be disruptive than maybe the average person. But maybe that's just because I'm a fool. We'll, we'll find out. Well, <laughs> well you're an, you'll, you'll either be, you're either a, an honest optimist or an honest fool. So either way. <laughs>
apologies for that cutting off so quickly. It was a bonus track. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, look for more in the future. Thanks again for listening. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out The Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.